Hello, and welcome to the Quantum Realm, where we break down the movies and shows of the Marvel Cinematic Universe piece by piece in release order. Together, we'll celebrate the stories, moments, and characters that we've come to know and love. My name is Jacob Devlin, and for this podcast, I will be your watcher, your guide through these vast new realities. All right, greetings again to the multiverse, and welcome to a really fun episode of the Quantum Realm. We are here for movie number five, Captain America, the first Avenger, and I'm pretty much sitting here with the man himself. I'm talking to a man named Stephen Rogers. I'm just so excited to have you with me here today, Steve. So how's everything going? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, this is going to be really awesome. Before I started this podcast, I was thinking about who are some guests that I could have for these movies. And of course, you were one of the first to pop into my mind. And um, so so this is going to be really fun. Um, we're going to be at Phoenix Comic Con in a couple of weeks. Really looking forward to that. So. Very much so. Uh, it's hard to think that we haven't been there for three years. Three years. Yeah, <laughs> it's been so long. It's going to be like coming home. It's going to be so great to see everybody again. So Katie's going to be back. Um, she was my, my first guest for the show, and we had a conversation about how it's just going to be great to see everybody again. And I know that you've been working on some cosplay for this. So so what do you have in the works for, for cosplay this time? Uh, I am actually, since fitting enough for this one, I've actually gone out and I'm finishing up a first Avenger version of the suit. So I've got a little bit of sewing work still to go on it a whole pile of upgrades to add on, but that should be ready to go. And then also revisiting the 2012 Battle of New York suit. Ooh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> should be, once I get, the, once the stress of building gets done. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've talked to a few people so far. We've gone through the first four movies and a lot of us have liked to dabble in cosplay, but you are very much uh, one of the most dedicated cosplayers that I know, like every time I see you, you are spot on with your outfits. And we had a conversation a couple months ago about all the work that you were putting into uh, these new suits. And so I'm just curious how this all got started for you. Like, when did you get into this cosplay world and what goes into this? Uh, so it's one of those things where I still kind of have a hard time. Like, I, I guess I've never embraced the term cosplayer because I'm a one trick pony. Uh, <laughs> See, uh, it all started kind of by accident. I was, it was uh, years back, it would have been, I guess, guess depends how far back down the rabbit hole you want to go here. But I was, I was at the gym on my birthday, which yes, coincidence would be is July 4th. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm at the gym, there's hardly anybody there. And my girlfriend at the time, her family, uh, family always made sure to book some sort of summer vacation right about that time. And so she was always gone. And I think part of me thinks by design, but she ends up, she's calling me and asking how, uh, how my birthday went. I'd just gotten home from the gym and I explained this kind of scenario I had there where I uh, was working out. I got my own gymnastics rings that I tucked away in my gym bag and I'm playing around with them, doing a couple of tricks on there. And some guy came up and commented on that. Then he saw my T-shirt. And I had a T-shirt that read some of the effect of Super Soldier Program Test Subject Rogers <laughs> and property of the U.S. government. And he starts laughing and he started mentioning how he works with an organization that's now since defunct, but he worked with an organization that uh, based on superheroes, different spots. 
and mentioned I'd be a perfect fit for Captain America. And started, we started having a conversation about it. And I appreciated his time. And I shared with her, hey, yeah, this is what happened. And she said, responds, so are you going to do it? Like, I don't know. It's kind of dorky, isn't it? She said, well, think about it this way. On your job resume from this point on, you can always put down job experience superhero. All right. Fair enough. Yes. I figured when I was 10, my closet didn't go to Narnia. Was, when I was eight, my closet didn't go to Narnia. When I was like 10, I didn't get a letter to Hogwarts. It hadn't been invented yet. Uh, <laughs> turned out you had to be born a Jedi. And I think it was my it's my 35th birthday. So my only hope was maybe at 60, Gandalf knocks on my door. So at 35, I got an invitation to be a superhero and just kind of ran with it. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so ever since I, I think the first time that I that I met you was in twenty I want to say twenty sixteen was the first time that I went to Phoenix Comic Con. I met Katie there for the first time in person. We had already been friends online for a while. Um, okay. And then she was telling me she was like, "I'm looking out for for my friend Steve. He's a Captain America cosplayer." And she tells me the story. I wonder if you remember this and if you can tell us. She tells me a story of when she met you. Uh, shortly before at Tucson Comic-Con, and <laughs> you, you had an encounter with a Negan cosplayer. Do you remember this? Oh, yes. Yes, there's a fantastic photo of it. <laughs> yeah, so, so tell the story of what happened with Negan. So what I picked up along the way since I, my my very first experience doing all this was just doing some like random charity stuff for kids at home. So everybody else kind of comes with a cosplay thing from an acting back. Everybody I know comes from a theater background, something like that. I don't. So I've had to just kind of pick things up as I went. And one of the habits I started developing was uh, if there were characters I was familiar with, if they had some kind of iconic pose, I'd try to work my, instead of just having a side-by-side buddy-buddy picture, I'd try to get something cool with them. And for all the Negans, since they've got, they usually have their Lucille bat with them. I tell them, hey, just set your bat here. Just act like you're laying into it and set your bat there. And I'll take a knee and act like I'm blocking it. <laughs> and I explained this very clearly twice. Well, about midway through it, uh, this kid decides that he's just going to lay into this with this pretty heavy-duty bat. Well, the, uh, the other side of this is the fact that uh, my shield is made of the same metal they make F-22s out of. So your bat's not gonna do a lot. And he lays into this and just shatters his bat on my shield. (laughs) And Katie's got this fantastic photo of this kid. It's midway through it. And the bat has exploded. You can see the stock (laughs) on his face as it's recoiling off. And that was right in front of her book booth. So that was the first time we'd ever met. That's a fantastic story. So um, yeah, for the folks listening who don't know who Negan is, Negan's one of the the bad guys from The Walking Dead and he has this bat that he swings around and it's covered with barbed wire. And um, just so funny that it happens to to go down like this with with cosplay that's because the the shield in the movies and all the comics, the shield is pretty much indestructible. And so so for this to happen in the, the cosplay world for this bat to just get completely shattered against a Captain America shield is the the funniest thing. I wish I had been there to see that. (laughs) Oh, it's price. Look on this poor kid's face. He smashed what was, what was a really good prop. Yeah. Uh, Just obliterated (laughs) it. Buddy, I just said, lay it on there. He's walking (laughs) off with the hand shock and this bat just exploding in his hand. 
<laughs> like little league flashbacks. So. Oh man, that poor guy. Gosh, you you told him. <laughs> so. Right. He he was trying to show off. You can. You know, there's that moment where I, I'm underneath and I just see his weight shift, and realize <laughs> that he changed his idea on what was going on. And so I just braced right into it, and there we are. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, yeah, so so that's amazing. I didn't know that about your shield that they use the same material that they use for the there, F-22s. Um, there's actually, uh, when I first started this whole thing, I was running around with just a Captain America themed hoodie that looked like the uniform. And I've got a hard shell backpack that looks like the shield. It's a, it's a plastic shell backpack with the harness straps on it. And I do, I, I do like, del- like home deliveries, like ring the doorbell and run off and wave from a distance. So a kid could get a view of a cat from a distance before I had all this piece together. When I wanted my actual shield, I was trying to figure out where to get one and not coming from any of this background. I, had, I didn't, wasn't even familiar with the term cosplay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know where to look for all this. Uh, I was just piecing it together randomly and I found a, there's a legitimate aeronautical engineering firm in Terre Haute, Indiana. The company's name is Stark Industries. They do military, they do military aircraft, they do unmanned aircraft, they do medical, they do all sorts of things. And I contact them, like, hi, my name's Steve Rogers. I'm trying to do this. Uh, could somebody in the shop do a one-off for me? And a I ended up making a friend there and a friend at the machine shop at the actual Stark Industries made my shield. That's so cool. Wow. <laughs> so I get a little bit of bragging rights on that one. When people ask where did it come from, I can honestly say Stark Industries. Stark Industries, yeah. <laughs> and and you work with some, I, I think you were talking about working with an Italian leather worker for some of the other pieces of your suit. Yeah, you the boots and the gloves. And... I was... Uh, the base suits I've always I've ordered and the accessories have always been a little weak with the first round of uh, first round of suit I pieced together. All the leather work was my own uh, Eagle Scout for the win there. So <laughs> one of my first one of the first merit badges of leather working, I got to fall back on that one a little bit. And the stuff has been good. But there's a there's a woman named Linda in Italy. She's very proud of her work, and after receiving it, she has every right to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And she did. She pieced together some commission pieces for me, and they are absolutely gorgeous. If if I told you that I stole them off the movie set, you would believe me. They're that good. <laughs> so. yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, so I'm wondering where, how long have you been a Captain America fan? I'm gonna assume that it was long before the movies. You know, growing up with the name and the birthday that you have. Like, when, when did you become a Captain America fan? Uh, I was actually, a, I was a diehard Spider-Man fan, and didn't find out about the Cap connection until a little bit later. The joy of growing up without an internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, probably late, late junior high, early high school, and. Uh, I was a bigger fan there, but I finished eighth grade at about four foot eight and 68 pounds. I was the smallest kid in my class. Mm-hmm. Uh, got, I found myself also tra- uh, tossed in the trash can and picked on. Uh, ended up, decided I was going to take up sports between, uh, headed into high school, I decided I was going to get into sports. And with that actually came a growth spurt that summer. I went from about four foot eight. Probably, probably in like March of that year, right before finishing eighth grade. And by about November, I'd shot from about four foot eight to about five seven. Mm-hmm. And 
I decided I was going to uh, start running cross country, decided I was going to wrestle. And you know, while well, competing as a wrestler, I picked up a couple of combat sports, a couple of disciplines. And through some, through a little bit of right, uh, a little bit of right people, right place, and a lot of hard work, I got to represent the U.S. for a while. So I'd always had star-spangled spandex around the house. So it kind of it kind of ran with the running joke of owning more star-spangled spandex than Captain America. <laughs> so, and for birthdays and Christmas, uh, there wasn't a lot of cap gear. You'd have to go. You couldn't, and you definitely couldn't find it just at a regular Walmart like you could now. You'd have to go to a comic shop and you might be able to find a t-shirt with a cap logo or a belt buckle, but that became everybody's kind of go-to lazy gift. Mm -hmm. uh, once the films popped out, it got a little more nuts for me. <laughs> and then it, so people started giving me the, hey, has anybody ever told you you kind of look like, and then down the rabbit hole we go. But uh, probably... Uh, probably right junior high-ish is really when it hit, but high school and college it hit if even if for a little bit of a joke, but the message always kind of stuck. That's really cool. And so I can imagine kind of what was going through your head when the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe started and we started to get these movies. Um, so the first Avenger premiered in the US in 2011. So it's been about 11 years now. Um, so what were your reactions when this was coming out? And we, and especially, I'm curious to what you thought about the casting of Chris Evans. Like what was going through your head when, when this started to become a thing? Well, I, I remember the, we had the previous, uh, there were least, as far as I can think of, at least in my mind, there were three previous cap films you know, prior to MCU popping up. You had the two Rev Brown ones that were like the late seventies. And you had uh, one using J.D. Salinger's son, uh, Matt. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, and that one, that one was terrible. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, all, like, all three of them stuck nowhere near to the original story. And they're just bad. So if people who love them, but they love them, they love them for the nostalgia's sake of remembering growing up with them. They're just bad. Mm -hmm. uh, how they taught Christopher Lee into being part of the second one, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just remember all the, the awful ones we came up with. And it wasn't until, I don't know, 2000, we finally got X-Men. And that was, that was the first good comic movie I can remember. Mm -hmm. So we, we got that. So I wasn't expecting a whole lot going into catching First Avenger. I enjoyed Iron Man, but I didn't know what we were going to get here. Mm -hmm. uh, I went in and only caught it the one time, but we uh, we left and my little sister made a comment to the effect of, oh, now I get it. Now I get why you're a fan. It's it's not just the name. I get it. <laughs> so, uh, But I actually only caught First Avenger one time in the theater. I can picture so many other films I've gone back and rewatched and rewatched, but mm -hmm. I caught it the one time and it had been years since I had rewatched it. Mm hmm. Yeah. And what was your initial impression when you when you saw it in the theater? Were you a fan? I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed just the, the little tweaks on how they were able to make it work because you've got the you've got the issue between the timeline of the comic coming out, which creates a problem with us actually being in World War Two is <laughs> the dates don't line up. Mm -hmm. uh, 
his, Captain America is punching Hitler on the cover of the first comic in March of 1941. We weren't in World War II for another nine months. Mm-hmm. So that whole, I mean, the, the Captain America comic predates us being in World War II by almost a year. So yeah, it's a, it was for, for everyone who had, who had complained about, you know, get your politics out of my comics. That's all they've ever done. So mm-hmm. uh, Joel Simon, uh, Simon and Kirby, you've got two Jewish authors who created a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Superman to go battle a Nazi menace that we as a country weren't tackling, and they threw a star-spangled costume on him and named him after the country. Mm-hmm. So you don't get much more political than that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think. This is one that I saw in the theaters, too. Um, I had skipped a few of them. I didn't see Iron Man 2 in the theater or Thor. Um, but... I'm with you on those. I missed both of those. Yeah. Um, and then I, I remember going, going to see Captain America in the theater, though. Um, what I remember about this is that I fell asleep somewhere in the middle, and it wasn't a testament <laughs> to the quality of the movie. It was a very good movie. I was very, um, very into it, but I think it was this was either the last day of the summer program that I was working for or like the day after. And so we were all just completely exhausted, but we really wanted to go watch this movie. And so, so I remember missing the middle somewhere right after he did his Star Spangled Man with the plan routine. I, I missed like 10, 15 minutes of it. And so, um, but, but rewatching it was really fun. It was, it was nice to go back in and revisit this after everything that we have now, which has been phenomenal, but it's, it's always nice to come back to phase one and see um, how well it holds up after all this time. Very much so. It's just the, the level of cohesive with phase one, how well it holds up, that there's just, there's not a weak link in there really. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and so, so we'll get into the the movie itself. Um, so, so I broke it down into the three acts and sequence one. This is another structurally perfect movie where you can break it down into about fifteen minute chunks. And so, the first fifteen minutes teach us a whole lot about Steve Rogers and the people who are connected to him. So. Um, the movie opens with the in, in the present day with Shield investigating an anomaly in the Arctic, and they find this mostly buried spacecraft that they're trying to figure out what's going on with that, what's inside of it, and they call for assistance unearthing this thing, and that's where they find the iconic Shield frozen in the ice, and they call for assistance trying to get trying to get it out. They say this guy has been waiting long enough. Um, so so that's just a really intriguing opening. And and I don't remember how I first became aware of Captain America, like who he was, but but I remember seeing the shield and um, just getting really excited about that because it's such an icon in the, in the movies now. And then just watching, I'm trying to figure, since I've, I've done this ever since, uh, I've done this ever since Lord of the Rings. If there's something I really want to watch, I'm the opposite of, of all my friends where everybody grabs every trailer bit they can find. I avoid trailers for things I want to see. <laughs> I, I, avoid, I avoid trailers and thank, thankfully, it's, well, it's gotten way harder with the Marvel thing. Yeah. But especially with, uh, every, uh, with all the friends I've made. And so everybody's trying to give me things. I'm trying to run, run. No, I don't want to see it. Uh, ever since... I geeked out seeing the, uh, to go off tangent, I geeked out seeing the first trailer for Fellowship of the Ring, but I remembered going in and seeing it in the theater and there are all the images you saw in the trailer and you keep waiting for one of those to happen. And I didn't want that to happen with Two Towers or Return of the King, so I avoided them. 
And I, I felt like my, I felt like my enjoyment in the film was just that much more. So I did the same with, I did the same. Once I knew there was a cat film, I avoided it like mad. And so going in, seeing that shield pop up, I don't know which direction we're going. I don't know, are we unearthing him and going forward in time with a couple of flashbacks? Or mm -hmm. is this whole film going to be flashback? But just, again, seeing that shield in the ice was just, uh, there were goosebumps there. Yeah, definitely. And so um, right away, it cuts back to 1942. So the rest of the movie is pretty much the flashback, like you mentioned. Um, and what I found really cool is that they cut back to Tonsberg, Norway, which was featured as a battle site in the beginning of Thor. And so I think this movie did a really cool job of stringing together almost everything that came before it. And you really become aware that this is a cinematic universe that they're building and nothing has been irrelevant so far because we have these callbacks to Thor um, in Norway. And then um, Johan Schmidt gets out of his Hydra vehicle seeking this legend in the tomb. And there's all this talk of Yggdrasil and he's looking for the Tesseract as one of the jewels of Odin's treasure room. And um, this was something I didn't catch the first time I watched it again, having skipped Thor, <laughs> but, but rewatching the movies again and um, going in order, it's really cool to see how they, they managed to tie Thor into that because they feel like such different stories, um, but they found a really cool way to link them together when they were looking for the, the Tesseract. Right, it's uh, watching is just seeing early on realizing that all these little things were that maybe is actually all were going to be connected, that they they weren't going to be a completely separate superhero universe. That at least each time you got something, there'd be some relation to a previous one. So I'm seeing uh, seeing that, especially hit, especially seeing all this hidden in a church where there's like even this cross face thing, cross faith thing where how to get there was just really cool to see that. Now see him start connecting these pieces and wondering where it was going. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so um, so when Schmidt gets the Tesseract, we cut to the US where we see the men enlisting for the army and we get our first shot of Steve Rogers. And at this point, he's just a little dude and he's been turned away for a slew of health issues. And we find that he's been kind of falsifying his enlistment forms and saying that he's from a different place and trying all these different approaches to try to get into the army. Um, one thing that I remember feeling the first time I watched this movie, and it still holds true today, is that I don't feel that the CGI worked very well with Chris Evans and the, the body double that they have for him there. Um, I don't know how you felt about that, but, but it's just kind of very jarring for me. Like, I feel very aware that it's two people <laughs> I, right watched him walk up and my initial thought was oh my gosh it's eighth grade me so and seeing that tiny little body, i i remember that guy actually so mm -hmm. but uh the cgi uh going back throwing that lord of the rings reference uh going back there were so many practical effects in that and the practical effects seemed to hold up so well over time Whereas the better we get with CGI, I think the more we judge past CGI. So at the time, uh, 11 years ago, that was amazing they seemed that on that body. Now it, that's one that just doesn't hold up. Yeah, that's true. That's a fair statement. Yeah, to think that yeah, the, the further we go with CGI and the, more, the easier it is to kind of look back and have these, ju these judgments about it. So I mean, I've, there's, you've now got apps that function on your phone where you can do the same thing.
true. Yeah. In, in a matter of seconds. Yeah. Definitely. So 11 years ago, that's science fiction. Definitely. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day and um, he was telling me that he felt very skeptical when he first heard about Chris Evans being cast in this role, because before Captain America, um, we, you mentioned the Fantastic Four, but he was also in a lot of these kind of goofy teen movies, not another teen movie, perfect score, <laughs> um, things that just didn't really seem to align with, with Captain America. And so I was recently introduced to The Losers. The Losers. So I, I don't think I've seen that I, one. Uh, apparently, it's actually a comic based film as well. Uh, but they are, uh, and since we've mentioned Walking Dead, uh, the name name skips with the actor who plays Negan also pops up in there, and they're a special forces team in Bolivia. But it's kind of a, it's a goofy, it's a goofy comedy action, kind of the same things he'd been doing with like the teen movies where they're just they're just kind of silly. But I, I thought that Chris Evans did a really great job in this movie. It's, it's hard for me to think of anybody else portraying this role. And I did, this is one where I didn't look up who could have been Captain America, except that I know that Sebastian Stan, I think, auditioned for the role of, of Steve Rogers and then landed the role of Bucky, who shows up a few minutes later. Um, when, when Steve gets into the movie theater fight, so the, there's the man kind of disrespecting the, um, the commercials about the army, and Steve tells him to show some respect, and the man takes him outside and tries to fight him behind the movie theater, and that's where we get the iconic line about, I could do this all day, um, and, and Bucky kind of sweeps in and, and defends Steve, and so um, I always really loved this portrayal of the friendship between them, just this very like wholesome, you know, they're, they're just really good good friends in, in these movies. Um, and, and Sebastian Stan, I think, does a really great job for Bucky. I don't know how you feel about that casting. Or, um... I, I guess it's interesting because you have, you have to be willing to accept this character of Bucky. Mm -hmm. This is not, if, if, you go, uh, if you flash back to, and it, it, it absolutely would not have worked, but if you flash back to the original Cap concept, mm -hmm. this is not the Bucky from the, com from the original comics. It's oh. not even close. Okay. How are they different? Uh, they're they're not they're not childhood friends. Uh, you end up with the again that weird dynamic they have to create because this uh, the introduction of Captain America predates U.S. involvement in the war, so they create Captain America, but he's not a he's not a soldier. He's he's more along the lines of a secret agent. So he's got a secret identity and everything. He's private Steve Rogers at, while, while stomping around Camp Lehigh. Mm -hmm. But he's U.S. based. He doesn't travel overseas because we're not there yet. And instead, he's out rooting out uh, hidden Nazi agents and hidden communist agents on U.S. soil. So he functions a little more like a... Uh, he's always popping up in the headlines like Captain America foils bridge bombing, things along that line. There's a... There's like a, an orphan kid mascot at the, just a, a young kid that stomps around the base named Bucky Barnes. But he's like the, he's like the 13 year old kid stomping around for morale. He's got nowhere else to go. And he stumped, he keeps talking how cool it would be to meet Captain America. And he stumbles in a tent one night and Steve's changing into his Captain America costume and the kid stumbles on it. And so now that he knows his identity, Obviously, the only logical thing to do is get the kid a matching suit, kind of like, uh, kind of like Robin is to Batman. <laughs> uh, throw this untrained kid a red, a red and blue suit, 
and throw him directly headfirst into danger as the kid's sidekick. So obviously that's not going to work for this film at all. <laughs> they had to reimagine the character and the reimagining works really well. I can buy their friendship. They did a phenomenal job with it, but it is a it was a definite turn from the character origin. Yeah, that's so interesting. I never knew that that was how it went in the comics. So, um, definitely something very different. Um, but but I love how they do this in the movie and establish their their friendship. And they go to um, they go to the Stark Expo. And this was another another thing that I caught in the rewatch. Like it's it's almost taken directly out of Iron Man two. We see the big globe thing, um, and and they're hanging out at the Stark Expo before Bucky is supposed to leave for England and. Um, Steve, of course, wants to try again, so he he gives him another shot for enlistment, and this is where we get a first glimpse of Dr. Abraham Erskine. Um, he takes note of Steve's passion and desire to enlist. He's kind of um, behind the corner watching, observing all of these interactions between Steve and Bucky and just picking up on Steve's passion, and um, that takes us into the next 15 minutes or so where um, Erskine gives Steve his moral test, you know, um, what are you here for? Do you want to join the army and kill kill Nazis? What do you want to do? And um, and I love Steve's response that he doesn't want to kill anybody. He just doesn't like bullies, no matter where they come from. And um, Erskine has, um, he he really is touched by this. And that's one of the um, one of the pieces that lets him um, join, join the army. He decides to give Steve a chance and um, signs the papers to let him in. And so um, what, what I also, the, the second time that I watched Incredible Hulk, when I was doing the rewatch for this, uh, somehow I completely missed the first time I watched, um, that, that Hulk was the super soldier. Like this is basically a, a resurrected project from Captain America. And so that's mm -hmm. another cool tie. <laughs> and so, um, and so really cool to get this, this call back to Hulk, you know, the, the super soldier program and, um, we also get our first interactions between Dr. Zola and, and Schmidt in the mountains, and they're, they're trying to power this machine with the, the Tesseract. And I know that Hugo Weaving did not have a good time playing Red Skull, but I, I really enjoyed his, um, his portrayal of this. So what did you think of Red Skull and Dr. Zola in this movie? Oh, he did, he did such a great job. As, he did such a great job as the Schmidt version of Red Skull. Mm -hmm. So. Again, that's uh, that's another one where there's a, a deviation off the off the original character, but the Schmidt version is the one everybody knows, and he just he nails it. He's so good at it, mm -hmm. and I it's why I feel I wish we had gotten more usage out of the Red Skull. I agree. Yeah. So they're powering this machine. They're, we're trying to figure out more of their motivations in this in this piece here, but. Um, when Steve goes back to the to the base, that's where we get our first introduction to Peggy Carter. And uh, I learned some fun things about people who almost played Peggy Carter. I think that Emily Blunt turned down the role at one point. I love Emily Blunt, but but I just really am glad that they have Haley Atwell in this role. I can't see anybody else doing this anymore. Um, but but I love her in this role, uh, Peggy Carter, and she's um, one of the the officers on the the base over there. And um, we also have Tommy Lee Jones in um, in the in the role as well. Can you remember his name? Gosh, I, I think I had um, Chester um, Phillips. Chester Phillips, yeah, that's Tommy Lee Jones' character in here. So, so we get Phillips and um, Peggy Carter, and they explain that one of the people in this squad is going to become a super soldier to escort Adolf Hitler to the gates of hell. 
Um, and so, so the sequence has a lot to do with the, the, the physical tasks that they're all going through. And Steve's constantly kind of falling behind. He's giving it his best and he's, you know, really trying to, to keep up with everybody, but he's sort of falling behind on a lot of these physical tasks and people are kind of bullying him and pushing him around. Um, but Erskine's always behind the, the scenes and he is looking beyond the physical qualities and strongly considering Steve, as we find out with the the grenade test, which is, I think, one of the most memorable moments in the movie. Uh, this this scene always sticks out to me when um, they throw the the dummy grenade and um, and everybody runs except for Steve. He he jumps right on it. And he's ready to sacrifice himself for this grenade. Uh, what did you think of that scene? Uh, it was a great scene, and the fact that the fact that that same mentality carries forward, like the uh, one of the arguments that's had with Stark and Avengers, you know, that. He'll continue, he'll continue. That same personality trait of being willing to lay down his life for the guy next to him always carries forward through the through the series. In the confines of First Avenger, it is so it's done so well. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you can tell that uh, it's that it's that moment where he has as she says, he's got absolutely no idea how to talk to a woman, <laughs> and she's constantly being judged on appearance. And he's kind of the one guy that doesn't entirely do that, where they, they find a little bit of commonality and some common ground in that conversation there. So, yeah, I really love that conversation between them. Um, and, and so she brings him to this little antique shop. It's the most unassuming shop, and that's where they, they've hidden the lab away for Steve to receive the serum. And um, so they get ready for, for this big procedure to happen. There's this big... Uh, intimidating looking machine and they they tell Steve to to lay down get ready for this so many people are, are watching so many people are a part of this uh, Howard Stark is a part of this so a callback to, to previous movies um, and and they go through the procedure and that's another really memorable moment for me just I always have that image in my head of, of this capsule that's containing him and um, and the whole time he's, you know, he's joking, he's quipping, he's wondering, you know, I, I should have used the bathroom before this. <laughs> he's just being a champ through this whole um, procedure. Um, and when, when it opens, then we have Captain America in his super soldier form. And, uh, and everybody is just amazed by this. He, um, he's grown his muscles. He's a lot taller. When he gets out, he says he feels taller. That's the first thing <laughs> that he says, I think. Um, and, and then we find out that there are traitors in the lab and they, they kill Dr. Erskine. They, they steal some of the serum and it just launches the whole um, second act of the movie where they're going after the traitors. Steve is running barefoot through the streets, just sprinting like it's nothing. Uh, he's able to clear these gates like it's nothing. Um, he's swimming after them. Um, Peggy is following, you know, she, she's shooting. So, so we get their kind of team up, team up there. Um, and that was just a really cool scene for me. I'm just always so impressed. Like, how is he running barefoot through the streets? <laughs> so, um, when they finally catch the guy who, who stole the serum, the, that's when they, they get introduced to this Hydra idea that the traitor is the first of many. They talk about Hail Hydra. You cut off one head, two more, two more grow. Um, and that sets up the, the whole second act where they're going to go after Hydra. So, um, so all of that takes about 45 minutes or so. Um, just a really solid introduction to the movie. Uh, I love the first act. I think it's probably my, my favorite act in the movie. Um, but, but act two is, has a lot of really fun stuff in there too. So 
the, the next sequence is the whole Star Spangled Man routine. Uh, so after Steve is made into a, a super soldier, he's ready to, to go after Hydra. He's ready for action, but, but they sort of put him on the sidelines and, and he's kind of forced to do this Star Spangled Man with a plan routine. And that's another moment that, that I remember really well. But of course, the first time I watched it, I fell asleep right after this. So, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but I'm always entertained rewatching the Star Spangled Man routine um, with the you know the the Hitler in the background uh, and the kids who are who are like pointing him out and, and telling him to watch out for Hitler <laughs> and he, and he's traveling and going through this this whole routine. Um, that was one of your costumes too, right? I remember you. Uh, we <laughs> did uh, the last year. We did uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion. Uh, it was actually a gift from the year prior. Uh, 2018 for my birthday, uh, my fantastic girlfriend decided that she was going to put together a crew. And so I got a, a whole USO line of girls following me around for the day. And we competed in the 2019 masquerade doing the Star Spangled Man routine from First Avenger, with the exception of trading out a Hitler for a really cheaply done Thanos. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I, I wish I should have seen that. <laughs> I, I'll, ship you, I'll ship you the film of it. It was hilarious. All right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, this was, that whole scene was such a great nod to the original cover. You've got, you've got Cap punching Hitler on that comic cover. And they were able to piece those together perfectly. That's so cool. <laughs> so, um, so I love this this whole routine that they're doing, uh, especially his reaction to the routine. You can tell that he's just not not feeling it. He's drawing pictures of himself as a performing monkey on a on a unicycle with his shield, and he doesn't want to be the performing monkey. He wants to be out on the front lines, especially as he sees people are are getting hurt out there. And so, um, while he's gaining fame as to the public as Captain America. Um, he really wants to be out, you know, in the action, and so, um, so he he talks to um, Captain Phillips and gets ready to um, to get into some action. He he breaks into the into the base to to break out this captured squad where he's been looking he's been looking for for Bucky, wondering where Bucky is, um, and and so he breaks into one of the Hydra bases and starts freeing a bunch of prisoners who um, from the army, and so he he finds Bucky there, strapped down and imprisoned. Um, and, I, and I love that exchange between the two because they haven't seen each other since long before Steve enlisted. And, and so this is the first time that Bucky is seeing him as a super soldier. And, and there's this really funny interaction about like, what, what happened to you? And, and Steve says something like, I, I joined the army. <laughs> it's just a really casual um, com, com, comment on um, this change that's happened. And then I joined the army. <laughs> so, um, and then on the way out, after he's freed all the prisoners, he encounters Schmidt for the first time. And, and Schmidt has rigged the whole place to blow up. And he reveals his red skull for him before he gets away. He like takes his face off and there's the red skull underneath. Um, and, and I think this is where, this is like the minute that I fell asleep. I think like as the place is about to crumble and burn, like this really tense moment that shouldn't have put me to sleep. <laughs> but um, uh, real snoozer. Right. <laughs> Yeah, this is an amazing moment um, where they're standing across, you know, the ledge from each other. There's this big gap, a fiery gap between them, almost like Mount Doom. <laughs> and they're, they're staring each other down before Red Skull gets away. Um, the place crumbles and burns. And 
Um, and everybody back at the camp assumes that he's dead and they're, they're even um, getting ready to write the letter that, um, that he's missing in action. They're, they're presuming him dead um, until the whole squad marches back, marches back into the camp together. And so that was just a really rousing, awesome moment where you know he's freed all these prisoners and they're all coming back together. They're marching back in the camp. Stan Lee cameo is where um, Steve's about to get like a, a medal for all of this and, and he doesn't show up and Stan Lee's out in the crowd saying like, oh, I thought he'd be taller because somebody else comes out to, to, to say that he's not going to be there. So um, love the Stan Lee cameos. What um, I did appreciate on the walk back though is also the, as that whole group walks into camp, there's no, there's no arrogance with Steve going, hey, look what I did. See, you should have put me in the field. The first thing he does is walk up to Phillips and surrender himself for arrest, for having stolen property, disobeying orders the whole night. So that he realized there were there should be consequences for his actions because he did the wrong thing. That's a really great observation. Yeah, it says a lot about his character that that's the first thing he does. Um, no arrogance, yeah. Um, and so the, the next piece is that he um, wants to put together a team to assault the main Hydra base. And so they're trying to go through all these bases and figure out where the main base is. And um, we get more development between Steve and Peggy. There's these like little tensions, little complications between them because Lorraine kissed him. And so Peggy thinks that he's just like all of the other uh, all the other people now. But, <laughs> um, but we get that introduction to the shield in this sequence too. And so Howard Stark is making all of this new technology he has all these different um, types of shield ready to go. Um, and it's not even the one that that's um, that he wants to get. Like there's all these other ones that that he wants to give Steve first. Stark went he, tech heavy, and he just wanted something simple. Yeah, definitely. I think all the all the other ones on top had all these bells and whistles, but then Steve sees the one that's kind of underneath, and um, and that's the one he wants. And uh, and of course, that's the one that we all know and love now. So so he gets his vibranium shield. Um, we learned that it's the rarest metal in the world. This is pretty much all there is. And and so so he gets it. Um, and he also gets his new uniform and he's ready to, to just stow, go and start kicking ass and getting through all of these, these bases. Um, that takes us to the, the train scene. And, and that's where um, we, we get the, the death, in quotes, of Bucky Barnes. He, he falls off the mountain. Um, so it's a really tragic scene for this movie. And, and Steve, of course, is crushed by this. And he um, tries to get drunk. He can't get drunk because of all the, the effects of the serum. Um, and, and that's where he has that interaction with, with Peggy and asks um, to you know, believe, believe that it wasn't his fault, you know, believe in himself. And, um, and so Steve is ready to go and, and take some action, go avenge his friend and stop Schmidt and, um, and, and be Captain America, be a, be a hero. So <laughs> act two, uh, act two goes by pretty fast. You know, everything from the, the Star Spangled Man routine to the time that he's ready to go to the main base. And so, um, so act three is pretty much everything that happens between Captain America and Red Skull. And so I really love that motorcycle scene where um, he's he's riding through, getting, trying to get into the base. Everybody's attacking him, but he's you know he uh, just looks really awesome on that motorcycle. He's 
Um, so that gets him into the base where he's ultimately surrounded and brought to Red Skull. And, and I love that interaction between, between them where Red Skull asks him, what, what makes you so special? And, and that's where, where Steve says, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. <laughs> and so, um, so always showing that humility, which I think is really cool. Um, so there's that big fight between them. You know, he has his backup that, that crashes through the windows and they're, they're ready to, to help him. He always has his team with him. Um, and then that's where Red Skull takes to the sky and he targets New York for decimation with this, this cube that he's taken from the gods. Um, and then Phillips and Peggy help him get onto Red Skull's jet. They propel him onto the jet and he finds all these missiles labeled for, for other places. It's not just New York. He's ready to target everywhere. He basically control the world with this Tesseract. Conveniently labeled in English for our convenience. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, just for our, our review. <laughs> so, um, so there's that big fight between them in the sky. Um, and, and I'm always a little bit confused about how it happens. Do, does one of the bullets hit the Tesseract and that's why it goes haywire? Like somehow the cube goes haywire. Uh, if I remember, it's, it's like it's something between the bullet, a shield, and just getting hit. Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so something activates the Tesseract and, and we get this cool glimpse of the, the cosmos, you know, kind of a callback to Thor. And, and Steve is just amazed by, you know, kind of this rift that he sees. He can see all of the, the cosmos and, and it blasts Red Skull far into the, to the heavens, um, presumably dead. We'll see him again at some point. Um, but then the cube drops out of the craft and there, there's still a problem, even though the Red Skull is down, now he still has to put this jet down before it, it blasts everybody in. Um, and the only way to, to resolve this is to put it down in the water. And so, so he has that, um, that conversation with Peggy, you know, they, they talk about, you know, we still owe each other a dance, you know, that this is something that, um, that we promised each other. And, um, but Steve pretty much knows that, you know, he, he's not going to make it out of this and he has to land the, the ship in the water. So, um, so, so that was a really great interaction between those two. Um, just something that's going to keep on coming back in the MCU. It's uh, always coming back to this dance and to this moment that he went under the ice. Um, and then the, the closure, everything that, that happens from, from that point on. Um, so Howard Stark is able to retrieve the, the Tesseract from the water. Steve is nowhere near where it fell. And so they spend all these years searching for him in, in the water and in nearby places. Um, we, we see that Steve's legacy has endured. Kids are painting the shield symbol on the trash can lids, which is one of the things that Steve uses to defend himself behind mm -hmm. the mirror. Um, and, and so they're, they're inspired by Steve. You know, his legacy has, has gone on long after he went under the, the ice. Um, and when he wakes up, he is fully aware that his surroundings are not quite what they seem. I, I think they did a pretty good job, you know, trying to construct something that looks authentic you know they have the the radio going on and um the nurse comes in and, and checks on him i read that an early draft of the script that was supposed to be black widow that was supposed to be natasha but they changed it um, but that would have been that would have been cool <laughs> uh, very uh, very very uh the that whole scene that's one of those that's one of those scenes in the mcu that gets there's some things that hold up well, and there's some that change. Like the farther we get down it, mm -hmm. the more your opinion on what happened changed. 
Mm-hmm. And this is, this is one that's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wakes up and there's that baseball game on the radio and there's all sorts of theory on it because it's one that he was at. Mm-hmm. So did, did they know he was that one? Did they make a mistake? But there's, there's a number of wardrobe mistakes on the agent that comes in too. There, and Steve has an eye for detail. Uh, this, is a, this is a guy who grew up as an artist. Uh, went to art school, worked for the WPA, uh, has a background that was able to pull up that map of all the bases by memory. So he got a quick glance at it, remembered where they all were, drew the whole thing up. So he's going to have an eye for detail. And there are things about this that are wrong. Just the her wardrobe, everything about it is it's close, but there's mistakes. And the question is, was it just lazy work on part of the designers where they went for good enough? Or were these intentional to kind of ease him into realizing he was kind of easing the shock? And that was one of the initial thoughts people had. Uh that kind of progressed from there into is Nick Fury trying to test him to, to see if to see if he's still if he's still mentally okay or if being under has done some kind of damage. But the the one that kind of aged with it and it shifted, there's the there's the idea he's that maybe he's testing him there. But once we got to 2018, you know, spoilers for everyone who's not this far along. Uh, once we get to 2018 and we get Captain Marvel, we're introduced to the concept of scrolls. So Fury's known about scrolls since the 90s. Captain America has just suddenly been uniced. Is this the real Captain America or is this a scroll? Oh wow! <laughs> it's not. It's not obviously that's not something they were planning then. But as the MCU ages, suddenly that becomes a conversation we get to have. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never thought about that whole perspective and that maybe Fury could be testing him because now he knows about scrolls. That's, I like that even more now. <laughs> right. And it's, that, that's what you know, I'm just sitting there the other day and I'm on the couch. And I just kind of pop up. Wait a minute. Hold up. And that <laughs> just kind of dawned on me. All right. I had not considered, but uh, it, there's some things that just don't work, you know, 12 years later. And there's some that just work differently 12 years later. And I think this might be one of them. Definitely. And I think that Marvel's been really good at kind of closing those loops whenever they see something that that maybe doesn't work as well. Like they find a way to close it up pretty well. Um, and so so I really like this theory. I'm, I'm going to say that this is canon in my head now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so when when Steve breaks out, he, he finds himself in New York City. He finds that it's 70 years have passed since he went under the ice. And so Nick Fury is there to break the news to him. Um, and he's kind of adjusting to this new New York, but the biggest thing on his mind is that he has missed his date, and that's where the movie ends. Um, but I I remember getting really excited about the the teaser and the the end credits because that's where we we finally got our um, introduction to the Avengers trailer, and so they they teased us with that at the end of the movie. Um, oh, it looked impossible. It looked that that <laughs> teaser at the end. And like looking back at how silly it is, uh, but at that point in time, you're telling me you uh, you've thrown six of these heroes on the big screen, and we're gonna get the same quality film with all these guys in a whole like group team up. 
Because we'd never had that. The only team up in any comic film you got up to that point, you got Batman and Robin, who were supposed to be there. Uh, everything had been, uh, everything, or now you obviously had X Men, but in this in this whole universe, there X Men are kind of supposed to be a group. So this it looked unrealistically amazing. And I remember just sitting there in the theater geeking out over the prospect that that was only going to be, you know, like eight months away or whatever. Definitely. And I think this is where I, I started to, to realize like how much I had missed. And then I remember talking to my friends on the, in the car, like on the way, the way home, like we were just talking about the movie and then like analyzing that trailer. And I was like, I never watched Thor. Now I have to go and watch Thor. And so somebody was telling me all about Thor. <laughs> and then I was like, now I got to go back and watch Iron Man too. And, um, and so just realizing like, dang, all of this was relevant. Like all of it fits together. And right. um, so, I'm so this what they're building up to and thinking, okay, they'll build up this and then we'll be done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was my thought too. And so I remember missing the next few movies after the Avengers. I didn't catch Iron Man 3 or Thor The Dark World, but somewhere around The Winter Soldier was where I consistently started to go to all the Marvel movies from, from that point on, because that's where I started to catch on. Like, oh, they're going to keep, they're going even further now. <laughs> so um, yeah, so so really well done. Um, but but I like that. I really love this movie. I, I love um, being able to revisit it and see all of these callbacks that that we'll get um, we'll get further on in the MCU. Um, so spoilers about Red Skull. I'll either keep this in this episode or I'll move it to like the Endgame episode. But why do you think Red Skull is where he is now? Do you have any ideas about that? Bad writing. <laughs> uh, Endgame is a train wreck. Uh, Endgame is a fantastic visual love letter, but uh, I equate it there. There's an image of there's an image somewhere of a car engine in a in a garage, and that car engine is being supported by a chain on two ladders. And you look at and those ladders are on top of paint buckets. And the more you look at it, the bigger a disaster this garage is. <laughs> and that's how Endgame is for me. The more the more I look at it, the more it hurts. Oh man. <laughs> So then there, there are so many beautiful images, but it just, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I, they realize they waste the potential of Red Skull, but everybody else who got hit by, everybody else who got hit by a blast from the Tesseract was obliterated. They didn't turn into a space Nazgul in charge of a totally different, uh, totally different stone. <laughs> it's, it's wonky. So I, I want to like it. And Ross Marquardt did a beautiful job with the character, enough where we thought it was Hugo weaving again. It shocked me to find out it wasn't. <laughs> because it's seamless. And it makes no sense. So I, I want for it to. And I, I just can't. My, the logic brain I have just will not drop this. And I can't get out how much sense it doesn't make. That's fair. Yeah. I, I still have that question about Red Skull. Like I, I just don't, uh, I've read different theories and none of them really work for me. <laughs> it's cool, but, but it's also just, I, I want to know the logic behind it. And so. there, there, there wasn't any, and that, that, that's what pains me is that the Russo brothers <laughs> had access to limitless money and all the writing teams they needed and Endgame was the best they could come up with. And it, it hurts my soul. 
Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have feelings. I have strong feelings. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk again when we get closer to endgame. I'm curious. Absolutely. About. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you have any favorite parts in this movie or anything that really sticks out to you as being like, that's a true Captain America right there? Oh, uh, this this one was great, but the the one that does it for me is of the the jump for in the in the trilogy. The one that nails it, Winter Soldier nails it hands down. Uh, so <laughs> if uh, if I get invited back for that one, that is Winter Soldier is your definitive cap cap film. That is the hill I will die on. Uh, but as for First Avenger. Uh, <sighs> see the the little kid the little kid interactions with them always kind of like the little kid getting tossed and the hey i can swim uh the little <laughs> kids at the uso show those give those are just a nice little nod kind of to the, to the bucky character the original bucky because he's there to he was kind of there to be relevant to the kids involved so that way they're not just reading about grown-ups there was somebody they could relate to so I got it. I appreciated that one. Um, the uh, the end scene, the end scene, the conversation between between Steve and Peggy. That's in my mind. That's where their relationship kind of comes to a natural end. And you've got you've got so many soldiers that didn't didn't come home, and the that's kind of the conversation they all wish they got to have. You know, where you have so many people that wish they were able to say goodbye or you know, other halves that wish they were able to have that last conversation. That's, that's just kind of a nice version of doing that one. Uh, let's see, but overall it's just such, it's such a good film that just the, the spirit of the characters there the whole time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so, so the question that I always like to ask everybody, um, and, and I'm especially excited to hear what, what you think. And so with, with Captain America, you know, he is obviously a, an enduring icon in the MCU. And long before the MCU started, people knew who he was. And long after his arc came to an end in the MCU, his symbols are still out there, right? The shield is everywhere still. Um, we're still telling stories about Steve Rogers. And so what do what are your thoughts about his popularity? Like, why are we so fascinated by him, or what can we take from him? There is a fantastic read by an author named Mark White. There's a book I keep on my desk called uh, "The Virtues of Captain America: Modern Day Lessons on Character from a World War II Superhero." Uh, it is a fantastic read. Uh, it's part of a. Uh, it's a, it's one that it's a part of a book series I use with my own high school students. Uh, if I've got some of the kids I coach, I'm a little closer to. I'll find a uh, find whatever kind of philosophy subject they're into, and there's a there's a great series of whatever character and philosophy, and I can kind of gift it to them, and it gives them they can read about their favorite character, but introduce them to the concept of philosophical discussions and moral debate while using a character that they're familiar with. Uh, but Cap's one is where he, everybody else has a moving period in time. Like ob obviously Spider-Man grows up, but we're always able to reboot Spider-Man back into being a high school kid. So mm -hmm. whether he's a high school kid in the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, 
know, part of that dynamic changes like the change of Flash Thompson going from being a physical bully to effectively a cyber bully, because that's what the new bully is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cap's got, he has a definitive point in time. So he's always going to be related to World War II. So he's not just, he's not just a comic character. He's a, he's a fictional historical figure. I mean, again, he was, as I'll point out for like the zillionth time, uh, nine months before we're in World War II, you've got this character punching Hitler in the face. So yeah, there's, uh, that's, that's something hard to overlook where he was dropped in, dropped as kind of a, as kind of a propaganda piece. And he's been, has been used, unfortunately, a few times. There's, there's a couple of cringeworthy comments you now come the come the fifties regarding the character and like anti-communist sentiment uh, or response to war. There's some moments where maybe we didn't get him quite right, but as a whole, the idea was taking the you know, was you know, taking taking a kid who normally couldn't do anything and you know, having him step up and take on the battles that we can't. But uh, even when he gets it wrong, he's still trying. And uh, having that, the discussions on not necessarily flip-flop, but being able to entertain two ideas where a character who had the, uh, when the mob and the press and the whole world tells you to move, uh, you stop and tell them, no, you move. And yet the same character who, when they uh, try, they tried to have him run for president at one point, and uh, both parties try to nominate him, and he explains the importance of being able to compromise and see the other side. And that's why he can't be president of the United States. Uh, now, oh. character simultaneously is telling about the importance of compromise and standing your ground for what's right. So, which I think are those are those are subjects that are always going to be relevant. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. That sounds like a fascinating storyline. I, I would love to read that one about um, him running for for president. Um, it's uh, it was kind of, it was a it's a what if kind of variant. It's uh, Captain America number two fifty. Okay. And uh, kind of the background behind it was they were trying to figure out well would he run as, would he run as a Republican or as a Democrat? And <laughs> well, um, how's he going to be able to juggle? How's he going to be able to juggle being president and being Captain America? And they pop so it pops up well easy. He doesn't win. I was like, well, how does Captain America not end up like winning the presidency? Well, <laughs> here's how you do it. And it, it's a great read. It, it holds up well, especially in kind of a hyper-partisan era that we're in right now. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it. That just sounds like such a fascinating thing for, for us to think about today, because it's it's no secret that, you know, we're we're in a time where America feels very divided. And I don't think that it's um, but it benefits anybody to think about, you know, who would he vote for today? Or any, but, but I wonder, like, how he would feel about the division that we're in and what he would have to say about, um, you know, compromise and listening to each other and just coming back to a time where we could, um, you know, get, get along again. And so the helmet's got a left. Uh, if you take a look at the helmet, it's got a left wing and it's got a, got a right wing. But the A for America is somewhere in the middle. And I think that's something that we frequently miss. Well, wow. <laughs> it's a great way to think about the helmet. So yeah, that, that's a meism. Is I've been I've been in public events where people, especially during election season, people ask, "Oh, well, who's Captain America voting for, and uh, which, which party are you going?" With? Well, yeah, here we go, and that that's kind of <laughs> become my universal response. But 
the more I use it, the more accurate it is, I think. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm, I'm going to think about that. <laughs> so, cool. Um, well, this has been awesome, you know, just uh, talking about the character and the movie with you. And you can absolutely join me again for any of the other Captain America movies. Um, I think Corey will be joining again to talk about the the, the Winter Soldier. He, that's his favorite. But I think we could team up for that. I think that would be a lot of fun to, to get different perspectives on the Winter Soldier, which is one of my favorites in the MCU, too. So, um, All right. It, it is still it's still easily top five. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I can't wait until we get to that point. Um, but uh, again, just thank you so much for for your time about uh, you know chatting with uh, chatting with me for these. Um, are there any other closing thoughts that you have on the movie or the character or anything else that you would like the listeners to know? Oh, nothing off the top of my head. I mean, what haven't we covered? Yeah, definitely. So. Um, well, thank you again for your time. We will definitely be chatting again soon. And I'm looking thank forward for to having me. Comic Con. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I hope that you have a great rest of your day. You do the same. Now, for the Steve that I talked to, Marvel Steve can teach us a lot about trying to take different perspectives while also being true to our own values and always trying to do what feels right. And now I know that these stories have ripple effects on other people's lives. You might be inspired by comic book Steve or Chris Evans Steve, but you might also be inspired by the real life Steve Rogers who walks among us and just knows how to make people's day. If you ever find yourself at a comic book convention in the Southwest region and you find yourself squinting in a Captain America cosplayer because he kind of looks like Chris Evans, chances are that's the Steve that you just heard. Since this recording, I had the chance to connect with him in person again at Phoenix Fan Fusion. In the span of about 15 minutes that I spent with him, he had a lot of photo requests from fans of his own, and he's always generous to give them his full attention. I even saw one attendee go up to him and share that they had met years earlier and that Steve had just left this amazing lingering impression on him. It was like this guy was chatting with one of his own personal heroes. I think that's part of the power of cosplay or a great movie, or a song, or a book, or a piece of art that just makes you feel something. It's the gift that just keeps on giving, and it's why creativity is so important to nurture, and why it's important that we have things like the MCU. And so, that's movie number five, Captain America, the First Avenger. And with that, we are about to watch all of this come together and revisit the first big team-up. The Avengers recently celebrated its 10th anniversary, and this just feels like an awesome time to revisit, so I can't wait. Lastly, this is your final chance to leave a review for some prizes. I have two Funko Pops ready for a new home and a $25 gift card to Presidio Comics, which is a fantastic place to go shop online or here in Tucson, Arizona, the upper level of the Tucson Mall. So here's how this will work. Go and leave your short review on Apple Podcasts. Remember the nickname that you used, because when the Avenger episode drops in about two to three weeks, I'm going to read three reviews. You'll have to listen and hear that review and nickname, and then I'll tell you what to do next. So thank you so much to the folks at Presidio Comics for sponsoring this and always being awesome supporters. Thank you to Steven Rogers for sharing his story and his voice. I could have done this all day, but until next time, thanks to you for hanging out again in the quantum realm. We'll see you soon.
The Quantum Realm has no affiliation with Marvel Studios or any other branch of Marvel Entertainment. The opinions expressed by the participants are all theirs and do not reflect any companies or organizations they're connected to. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, be well. Thank you.